Well, good morning, Fairfax Bible Church. Uh, I bring you greetings from your Great Commission Collective Sister Church to the North Harvest, Annapolis. Uh, I was told to tell you how much uh, our pastor, Dan Hammer, who was here uh, with you a few weeks ago, loves you, how much our church loves you, um, how thankful we are for your gospel partnership in the Great Commission Collective, and, and honestly, just how much we, uh, our elders, our pastors, are, are praying for you in this t- uh, season of transition that uh, the Lord would provide the man that uh, he has to be your next senior pastor. Uh, We really do believe that God has not done working in Fairfax Bible Church. We trust that what Paul said to the Philippians is true, that he who who has begun a good work in you in, in this church, in this place, will be faithful to complete it. Amen. It is really good on a personal note to be with you this morning. I enjoyed my time with you a couple years ago, and it's just so, uh, so much of an honor to get asked to come back and to open God's Word with you these next couple of weeks. So uh, let's go ahead and do that. If you uh, have your Bibles, your smartphones, your tablets, or uh, whatever it is that you typically use to get your eyes on God's Word, I would invite you this morning to join me in Psalm 93. Love preaching the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 93 this morning. And the psalmist is going to remind us that our Lord is mightier than, and we're going to fill in a blank there in a few minutes, but our Lord is a mighty Lord. He's a mighty God, is he not? And anyone else here this morning have like a rough like last 18 months? Like I'm not alone in that, right? That We did have like 2020 and uh, 2021 hasn't, uh, hasn't exactly been that much better. Uh, but even if you're not quite there yet, I want to start this morning by reading the five verses of Psalm 93. Uh, don't worry, we'll come back to it. But if you are there, look at Psalm 93 with me this morning and then we'll pray to begin our time together. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. But mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray for our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that uh, we are able to worship you this morning, Father. We ask that we would set our hearts upon you, Father. As we look to your word, we trust that every single word of it is uh, inerrant and inspired by your Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and training in righteousness, Father. So as we come to your word, we ask uh, that your spirit would continue to be present among us, that it would be moving among us, to work in us, to encourage us, to challenge us to equip us and ultimately to make us look more like your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, during my time in seminary, uh, my family and I had the privilege of living not too far from one of the most famous bridges in the United States. I realize that pretty much nobody in this room knows where I went to seminary, so let's just clarify that a little bit. No, I'm, I'm not talking about the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I'm not talking about the Brooklyn Bridge in New York. I'm talking about the Gregson Street overpass in Durham, North Carolina. Now, I realize you're probably like, Andrew, I think you're a little confused as to what constitutes a famous bridge. Uh, Well, let me clarify a little bit more again. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, Infamous might be a better word for this bridge. This bridge is known as the 11-foot-8 bridge, the can-opener bridge, and also as the Gregson Street guillotine. It's become an internet sensation, and and really, if you've spent just about any time watching viral YouTube videos, you have seen this bridge, trust me. It's a a very famous bridge. 
became famous when a local office worker named Jürgen Henn uh, got tired of the constant accidents, so he decided to go buy a video camera, set it up uh, on an automatic recording system to try to capture any of the oversized trucks or RVs or military equipment that would come at this bridge that's shorter than normal while those trucks were being too tall and the drivers were not paying a bit of attention. The result's always the same. Uh, The top of the truck or the motorhome or whatever it is slams into the bottom of that bridge and then Jürgen Henn takes that video and uploads it to YouTube like he's done 170 times now and this keeps keeps getting more and more videos. Uh, We got a a video for you this morning to give you an idea of what it is. You're going to probably have to turn your head a little bit to the right. We had some technical difficulties this morning, but take a look. Yeah, not fun. I'm glad that I was not driving that truck. I drove a U-Haul while uh, we were moving down from New York, and uh, that was my fear right there. Uh, But I am one of the 150,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel uh, that gets a notification every time a new video is uploaded because uh, no matter what kind of truck or motorhome or or RV or or military equipment it is, uh, I want to see this crash happen. Like, it's never not entertaining to me. It's like the Clash of the Titans. There's two uh, seemingly immovable forces that are on a collision course with each other, and I want to know what's going to happen. Even though I know which one's going to win, I want to see the crash. I want to see the bridge take the hit and not move an inch, and I want to see the truck get demolished, of course, as long as, like, nobody actually gets hurt. But in Psalm 93, the psalmist paints us an ancient picture of the 11-foot-8 bridge. See, when we find ourselves in the middle of a trial, from our perspective, it seems almost as if our God and our trials are those two opposing forces that are on a, on a collision course with each other. And even though we know which one will stand immovable, even though we know what the outcome is going to be, even though we know which one is stronger and more powerful than the other, it doesn't always feel like that when we're in the middle of the trial, does it? I know I'm not the only one. Like I said, I'm I'm sure many of us have had a rough uh, past 18 months or so. We've all faced hard things. And and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I don't don't want to start by like, I'm still going through it. I'm still facing hard things right now. Well, the unknown psalmist of Psalm 93, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to give us an injection of hope this morning. He wants us to lift our eyes and, and be reminded that the Lord is mightier than blank. And you're going to be able to fill in that blank with just about anything that you want because the point is our Lord is mightier than everything. And so as we look at Psalm 93 this morning, here's our big idea, our one sentence overarching theme of the passage that will tie it together for us. Our big idea this morning is simply this, our Lord is mightier than any trial we will ever face. Again, our Lord is mightier than any trial we will ever face. As we look at these five verses, we're going to see three realities to remember when trials come. So here we go. Here's reality number one this morning. Simply, our Lord reigns, period. Our Lord reigns. Look back with me at verses one and two of Psalm 93. Read it again. Psalmist says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The psalmist starts with this incredible statement. The Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The covenant-keeping, faithful God of the universe reigns. Like, Let's just stop and put, put an exclamation point on that sentence right there because this is an incredible statement. 
To say that the Lord reigns is to, to point to his sovereign rule over everything. It's, the, it's a simple, definite statement that is the central reality of the universe. The Lord reigns. Not the Lord used to reign. Not the Lord might be reigning right now. Not the Lord is one of many rulers. No, the Lord reigns. He has always been reigning. He is reigning and he will continue reigning forever. His throne is the 11 foot 8 bridge that will not shake no matter how big or how fast the speeding truck of our trials might slam into it. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 21 and 22 says, Do you not know? Do not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. See, some of us in our human pride might feel threatened by the sovereignty of God because when we think about the sovereignty of God, we start to think, well, that takes away some of my free will. That takes away my ability to fight for myself when I'm backed into a corner and I want to have that control. But really, what better truth to comfort ourselves with when we find ourselves in the middle of a trial than the rule and reign of a good and sovereign God? Charles Spurgeon is one of my heroes. He said, when you go through a trial... The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. The psalmist is telling us that the Lord reigns. Again, what an incredible truth. But we, we could push back a little bit like, all right, Mr. Psalmist, that's a big claim to make. Uh, like, I'm not so sure, so how, how can we really know that the Lord reigns? Because I'm going to push back a little bit on this. Well, it gives us the answer to that question right here in the text. So, so let's look at four reasons that we know our Lord reigns. First, We know our Lord reigns because we see his glory. Verse 1 again says, the Lord is robed in majesty. A king's robes are what sets him apart from everyone else in the room. Like when you, if you were to happen to wander into a throne room where there happened to be a king mingling around, you're going to recognize him instantly because of his robes. He's going to be dressed like a king. And and the the, the bigger and more impressive and, and fancier that his robes are, the more important that king is. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We see the robes of our king every morning when the sun rises. We see the robes of our king every evening when the sun sets. They proclaim his glory and constantly remind us that the Lord reigns. He's still reigning right now. John Piper, in his new book on God's providence, says this. I love this quote, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, I used to look at sunrises when I was jogging and think that God has created a beautiful world. Then it became less general and more specific, more personal. I said, every morning God paints a different sunrise. He never gets tired of doing it again and again. But then it struck me. No, he doesn't do it again and again. He never stops doing it. The sun is always rising somewhere in the world. God guides the sun 24 hours every day and paints sunrises at every moment, century after century, without one second of respite, and never grows weary or less thrilled with the work of his hands. Even when cloud cover keeps us from seeing it, God is painting spectacular sunrises above the clouds. Why? Because the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. Second, we know our Lord reigns because we watch his strength. In this day and age, we're familiar with what it looks like to have a, a purely ceremonial monarchy. Like, all we have to do is, is look at our friends across the pond in the United Kingdom, and, and we, we, we see that maybe their, their kingship, their, their, their royalty isn't what it used to be. To be a little funny about it, I mean, uh, off with your head used to mean something. I'm not so sure that that really means anything anymore. 
Because today, the royal family is more show than power. It's more drama than authority. They're still robed in majesty. They, they still have all of the, the, the luxuries that come along with their position. But there's no real strength involved. The psalmist wants it to make it very clear to us that that is not the case with our Lord. Our Lord is no ceremonial monarch. He is robed in majesty. In verse 1 again says, He has put on strength as his belt. The commentator says, Here hails a sovereignty that is by no means muted or dormant. God appears in full magnificence and armed for battle. That's our Lord. We watch his strength when we look at the present to see what he's doing in our lives, how he's working among us in our, in our, in our personal lives, in our church. And, and we, we can see his strength when we, we look back at how he's always been faithful to, to keep us and protect us and provide for us. We can see his strength when we, we open up the pages of Scripture and look back at the Old Testament and see how he's always been faithful to provide for his children. We can see his strength when we see him facing off with Pharaoh, that the man that everyone thought was the, the most powerful man on the planet at the time. But through plagues and through the Passover, God made it very clear to Pharaoh, guess what, Pharaoh? You're not in charge. You're not the one that's really reigning here. I am. We know the Lord reigns because we see his glory, we watch his strength, and third, because we observe his creation. The end of verse 1 says, yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Yes, I'm aware of the fact that, that watching the sunrise or the sunset is, uh, is kind of falling under the category of observing his creation, but let's just stop and think for a second about the actual act of creation. Like we can't create a time machine this morning and go back and actually watch creation happening but we can observe and consider the effects of the God who spoke and out of nothing created everything. Like, how do you create a mountain? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have the answer to that question other than what Scripture says because mountains are pretty permanent. They're massive. They're, they're durable. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. They're established. And how did they get there? Genesis chapter 1, the sovereign God of the universe stepped into time and spoke and there were mountains. Only the Lord who reigns can do that. Why? Because he's sovereign. Because he's the Lord. Because he's reigning. Think about this. Genesis 1 did not happen because uh, the Lord managed to work up the strength and ascend to the throne and then create everything. No, Genesis 1 happened because the Lord has always reigned. He has always been that way. And then he stepped into time and spoke. The Lord reigns. That brings us to the fourth reason we know our Lord reigns. We know he reigns because we behold his eternality. Verse 2 says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Just a couple pages back in your Bibles, in Psalm 90, verse 2, Moses, who, yes, Moses wrote a psalm, said, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The eternality of God is one of those truths about him that we can't fully wrap our minds around. Like it just makes our brains want to explode. Like this is an incredibly massive idea and we just can't grasp it because we are a linear people. We live inside of time, but God lives outside of time and has reigned from forever past. Think about it. There has never been a time when God has not been on the throne. And since we can't even begin to fully comprehend what that means, let's just stop and think about what it means for him to have been on the throne in time, in the time that we can understand. Like think about how many pharaohs, kings, presidents, and prime ministers the Lord has outlasted and outreigned. 
We can just think of, uh, of the kings of Israel and their reigns during the, uh, the small time when Israel and Judah were divided. And I, and I wrote down the lengths of their reigns. And this is what it says. Is, uh, they reigned for 17 years, 3 years, 41 years, 25 years, 8 years, 1 year, 40 years, 29 years, 52 years, 16 years, 16 years, 29 years, 55 years, 2 years, 31 years, 3 months, uh, 11 years, 3 months, and 11 years. That's... 19 kings in 390 years, but one sovereign Lord who reigned the entire time. We can just think about, in our nation's history, about 250 or so years, we've had 46 presidents, but one sovereign king of the universe who has reigned the entire time. The psalmist is right. The Lord reigns. We know he reigns because we see his glory, we watch his strength, we observe his creation, and we behold his eternality. And so, so we could just stop right there this morning. It's like, like, we're good. Like, we get it. The Lord reigns. That's enough for us to worship him. Like, let's just sing the closing song and worship the Lord because he reigns. But at the same time, we don't always feel like he reigns, do we? Like, we know he reigns. Like, we can mentally ascend to the fact that God is on the throne and that we should be able to trust him with our trials. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? The psalmist knows that the pain of our trials is just as real as the reign of our Lord. And so he acknowledges, number two this morning, that yes, our trials roar. Yes, our trials roar. Look, look what he says in verse three. He says this, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Water is an extremely powerful force. At 7.59 a.m. on the day after Christmas in 2004, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake shook the floor of the Indian Ocean and, and started a massive tsunami. 20 minutes later, a 100-foot mountain of water slammed into the city of Banda Asa, Indonesia, instantly killing more than 100,000 of the 320,000 people that lived there and destroyed absolutely everything in its path. The tsunami wasn't done. The waves that didn't hit the city kept traveling across the Indian Ocean at over 500 miles an hour until it slammed into Thailand about an hour and a half later, killing thousands more. And an hour after that, all the way on the other side of the Indian Ocean, the same massive wall of water slammed into India, killing and destroying again everything in its path. The last victims of this tsunami were killed nearly eight hours later and 5,000 miles away in South Africa. All in all, the, the Boxing Day tsunami, as it's known now, killed over 230,000 people and left hundreds of thousands more homeless. One tsunami expert described it this way. He said it was a wave, but the obser from an observer, observer's standpoint, you wouldn't recognize it as a wave. It's more like the ocean turned into a whitewater river and destroyed everything in its path. Nine months after that, Hurricane Katrina slammed into... The, 400 miles of the Gulf Coast of the United States, dropping tons and tons of rain, breaching those levees around New Orleans that were supposed to keep people safe and caused tons of damage. When all was said and done from Katrina, about 2,000 people had been killed, 90,000 square miles had been affected, over a million people had lost their homes, and over $2 billion worth of damage had been done. Like I said, water is an extremely powerful force. The psalmist uses that kind of imagery say, man, this is what our trials are like, is it not? Like, we can understand this. Like, we can, we can feel that. We can, we can relate to this powerful imagery. In verse 3, he says, The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. And we know what it's like to hear the roar of our trials. And we hear them roar with a vengeance. 
Maybe you're here this morning and the trials that you're facing right now are so real and so roaring that you feel like you're just waiting for the floodwaters to rise above your head. Or you feel like you're waiting for the tsunami wave to come crashing down on top of you. And you're weary, and you're worried, and you're worn, and you're wondering, not just like, can I stand another day? Can I survive another moment of this? But you're honestly wondering, if you're going to be really honest with yourself, you're wondering, is the Lord really reigning? Is he sovereign over my trials? Is he, is he aware of what's going on here? Can he step in and do anything? Maybe in your life, the waters that are roaring are roaring with pain of a season in your marriage that feels very different from what you imagined it when you stood somewhere and said, for better or for worse. Maybe the waters are roaring with the sound of a phone call from a doctor who was not bringing good news. Maybe they're roaring the sight of watching someone that you love and care about deeply struggle as they age or struggle with their health or struggle in any number of ways. And you just wish there was something that you could do to, 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 to lighten their burden, to take some of the pain away from them and take it on yourself. But it's just as painful for you because you, you, seem help, you feel helpless in that moment. Maybe they're roaring with coming out of 2020 and, and most of the way or over halfway through 2021 now and you're wondering, like, what's next? Like, this was not good for my career. I lost my job. I, I don't know what's, what's going on now. And so, so what's next? And the, and the roar of your trials is loud. But whatever your particular trial is, like the psalmist says, the flood waters of your life have lifted their voice. And you have heard them loud and clear. Roaring day in and day out. And, and no matter where you go or what you do, you can't get away from the roar. Maybe the, the, the roar of those waters, the wall of the water that you, you see is, has gotten so high that you don't even think you can see God at work anymore over top of them. And, and if that's you this morning, I just want to say two things to encourage you. First, you are not alone. Jesus loves you. Jesus sees you. Jesus cares about you. I know this church is not my church home, but I, I know this church well enough to know that, that this church would love to be able to serve you and walk with you through anything that you're facing right now. And second, I want you to know that the psalm doesn't end at verse 3. The roar of the waters is not the end of this psalm, and the roar of your trial is not the end of your story. Yes, the Lord reigns. Yes, our trials roar. The, the psalmist is acknowledging that fact. In fact, if Psalm 93 were a heavyweight prize fight, we could, it would be the, the, prize, the, the fight of the century. We could imagine the announcer coming to the center of the ring with his tuxedo and his microphone and, and stepping to the center and saying, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention? In this corner, we have the undefeated heavyweight champion of the, of the world, uh, the, the, the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, sovereign God of the universe. And in this corner, we have the challenger, our roaring trial. And then as the, the, the bell dings to, to start the match, the psalmist lets us in on a little secret. He wants us to know, listen, the outcome of this match has already been decided. The victory has already been won. He tells us reality number three this morning is this. Our Lord stands victorious. Our Lord stands victorious. One last time, look back with me at verses four and five of Psalm 93. Psalmist goes on and he says, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the, the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. I'm going to put this as bluntly as I can this morning as possible. It just seems kind of appropriate to make this confession since we're, we're meeting in a school this morning, but uh, I hate math. 
Uh, I've always hated math. I hope that there's other people that can join me in that misery there. I've never been good at it, don't like it, and still try to avoid it uh, at all possible ways. But one thing I've always appreciated about math is that there's always a definite answer to the equation. There's no ambiguity at the end of the problem. And I know this is kind of like an elementary level of math, but as I think back about my, my very limited mathematical education, uh, my favorite thing that I ever learned in math is the greater than or less than symbols. Like they're simple, but so absolute. It's really this simple. Like you have two different numbers, two different things, two different objects on either side of the equation, and all you have to do is figure out which one is bigger. All you got to do is figure out which one is better, which one's stronger, which one is more significant, and the answer is an absolute statement. It's truth. It's trustworthy, and it does not change. Greater than means greater than. Right here in Psalm 93, we've been given one of these mathematical equations. The psalmist has given us the two sides of it. He said, on this side, we have our reigning Lord. On this side, we have our roaring trial. On this side, we have the, the heavyweight uh, champion of the world. On this side, we have the challenger of our loud trial. On this side, we have the 11-foot-8 bridge. On, on this side, we have the speeding truck of our trial. And then in verse 4, he gives us the definite answer to that equation. He gives us an absolute. He says, mightier than greater than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. In other words, our Lord stands victorious. In other words, our Lord is mightier than any trial we will ever face. To quote an old hymn that I love, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that, oh, the wrong seems oft so strong. God is the ruler yet. I want you to notice this this morning, though. Even though our trials seem so terrifying to us when we're in the middle of them, from God's perspective, they're just a bunch of noise. You see that in the text? Verses 3 and 4, that's all they are to God, just noise. The psalmist references their voice, their roaring, and their thunders, but not their destruction, their danger, and their doom. When we find ourselves in the middle of a trial, the, the roar of our trial might sound like, like we're in the middle of Niagara Falls and all of that water, all of the, however many pounds of water, gallons of water per second are falling over Niagara Falls. It feels like they're, they're roaring and falling right on top of us. But to God, the sound of our trial is no more threatening than the sound of a bubble bath. Charles Spurgeon again says, our trials are all foam and fury, noise and bluster during their little hour. But then the tide turns or the storm is hushed and we hear no more of them while the kingdom of God abides in the grandeur of its power. He says the utmost of their power is to him but a sound. But still the roar of our trials sounds terrifying to us. We're in the middle of it. So even though we know our Lord stands victorious, even though we know our Lord reigns, even though we know we should be able to live like this, like when we leave here today, we're going to face our trials head on again. And so the question is, well, how do we live like our Lord stands victorious? How do I put this into practice when I get in my car to drive home this morning and, and instantly as I click my seatbelt on, all of the, the, the thoughts of my trial come back. How do we live like our Lord stands victorious? Well, four things this morning to, to close. Look to his throne, look to his word, look to his son, and look to eternity. First, look to his throne. What's happening in the throne room of God right now is the central reality of the universe. And we don't have to wonder about what's actually going on there because scripture tells us. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 93 started out by telling us the Lord reigns. And at the end of verse 4, he tells us again, the Lord on high is mighty. In Isaiah chapter 6, one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture, uh, the prophet Isaiah is given a vision of the throne room of God, and this is what he sees. 
says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I don't know about you, but that kind of a picture can sustain me in the middle of a trial. I look to scripture and see that this is the reality of what's going on in the universe right now. That that the Lord is high on his throne and he is being worshipped and and nothing is going to throw him off of his throne that can put our trials into perspective. So look to his throne. Second, look to his word. Verse 5 says, your decrees are very trustworthy. It's talking about God's word. This sovereign king that we're talking about this morning who reigns above it all does not reign in silence. He has spoken and he has given us his word. And the the psalmist says that not only is he glorious and mighty, but his word is trustworthy too. All we have to do is turn on the news and the news is full of examples of the abuse that happens when someone, whether it's in the home or the church or the government or the workplace, is powerful and mighty, but they are not trustworthy. But we don't have to worry about that with our God because he is powerful and trustworthy. He is good and he has spoken and so we can trust his promises. The God of Psalm 93 is the same God who has, listen, I will never leave you or forsake you. The God of Psalm 93 is the the same God who, in the middle of, uh, of, of things going on, says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I could read that, all you who, who can't seem to hear above the, the roar of your trial right now, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And as you look to his word, you will find many more precious and trustworthy promises where those came from. So when you find yourself in the middle of a trial, you can live like our Lord reigns by looking to his word. And third, look to his son. God's promises are perfect because everything about him is perfect. Verse 5 says, holiness, that's absolute perfection and everything befits your house. So the question then is, well, how, how can I be part of this when I'm anything but holy? And the answer is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. See, not only are we not holy, but we're the absolute opposite of it. We are wicked to the core and separated from God because of our sins. But God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and live the perfect life that we could never live and then go to the cross where he would die the death that we deserved as he took our sins upon himself and God the Father poured out his wrath on our sins on his own perfect son so that we could go free if we would repent or turn from our sins and place our our faith, our hope, our trust for salvation, not in ourselves and not what we can do, not in our ability to fight our way out of our trials, but in what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. When you do that, he will save you and welcome you to the family of God, the the people who do not need to fear the roar of their trials, the people whose Lord reigns. That's how you can experience peace in the middle of a trial that we see in Psalm 93. So if you're here this morning by chance and you've never come to Jesus and and placed your faith in in him for salvation, I would just, I would plead with you, do that this morning. This room is full of people who would love to talk with you about, about what the gospel would look like in your life. But holiness befits his house, and he wants you included in his house. 
So look to Jesus and be saved. Run to him. And finally this morning, in order to live like our Lord stands victorious, look to eternity. Back in verse 2, we talked about the incredible eternality of God and how he's reigned from eternity past. But, but this psalm doesn't just talk about eternity past. It also turns our heads and points us towards eternity future. Because his reign is not some temporary reign and his, his victory is not some temporary victory. It's not like he just showed up to, to silence our trials and, and he's kind of just hoping they don't come back up again. But no, he defeats them once and for all. And we see that when we look to eternity. I want you to see this for yourself this morning. So if you still have your Bibles open or your phones or whatever, can you turn over or scroll over, or do whatever you have to do, but, but meet me in Revelation chapter 4. Psalm 93 has given us this incredible picture of the roaring waters lifting their voices and crashing their roars against the throne of God. And the only other place in Scripture that places the context of God's throne in the same context as water is Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read that chapter. As I read Revelation chapter 4, I want you to just picture what John is seeing. Imagine what John is seeing here as he's writing Revelation chapter 4. It says this, After this I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne stood in heaven, and with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And listen, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, the four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, with eyes full around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He's still reigning. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives again forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Did you catch it? Did you see what it said about the waters back in verse, chapter, verse 6? It said, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Calm, smooth, peaceful, conquered. There's no more roaring going on here. There's no more trials happening here. No more, uh, no more destruction, no more, uh, no more devastation, no more fighting. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that not only will there not be any more trials then, but in that day, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes of the trials that we are facing right now. And that's our hope. That's what we see when we look to eternity. And that's how we can live like our Lord stands victorious, even when our trials are still roaring. Because our Lord is mightier than everything.
You trust that this morning? Do you believe that? Yes, our Lord reigns. Yes, our trials roar. But at the end of the day, our Lord stands victorious. He is mightier than any trial we'll ever face. And I just want to close this morning by inviting you to trust that. If you're taking notes, like we've seen this slide up, the title of the sermon is, is, is Mightier Than Blank. And I just want to encourage you this morning, whether you're taking notes or if you just do it in your head, jot something down, make a mental note. But, but what is it that you're facing right now that you need to trust that the Lord is mightier than blank? Because guess what? You can fill in that blank with anything and it will still be a, a true statement. Because the Lord is mightier than everything. So trust that no matter how big or how fast the truck of your trials is speeding towards the 11 foot 8 bridge of God's throne because the Lord reigns and his throne will stand it will not shake it will not budge an inch we can trust that we can take that to the bank so let me pray for us as the worship team comes Father you are an awesome God we trust you with our trials even though uh, that is easier said than done so often in our lives Father, we thank you that your word points us back to your reign in eternity past. It shows us you're reigning right now. It it shows us that you will continue reigning forever, Father. Help us to lift our eyes in the middle of our trials to trust you with what what we're facing. Father, you are a good God. You are a strong God. You are a mighty God. You are worthy of so much of our praise and all of our praise and so much more. Father, we thank you that that is true of you. I should ask now that if there's anyone here this morning that is just going through it right now, facing a trial, Father, would your spirit encourage them? Would your spirit lift their eyes to you, to your throne? Would your spirit, our encourager, our comforter, just come right alongside them this morning, Father? Would you give them that injection of hope that Psalm 93 gives us, Father, that that you stand victorious, that you reign, and that you always will. Father, we thank you again, and we ask that you be glorified in the worship that we give you now. In Jesus' name, amen.